Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very first official Seven Investing podcast. I'm Simon Erickson, and I am joined by my team of stock picking advisors, Matt Cochran, Austin Lieberman, and Steve Symington. Gentlemen, welcome to our very first podcast. Ahoy! Hey, Simon. Thank you. Hey, Simon. And thanks for listening. This is, like we said, our very first time at the podcast, but we're doing this for a couple of reasons. I'd love to start by introducing Seven Investing to our audience. Our mission is to empower you to invest in your future. We very much believe that the stock market is a great way to compound wealth over long periods of time. We're providing our seven best ideas in the stock market every month for just $17. But we also have a goal of helping people get more actively involved in investing and saving money themselves. So we're not managing anybody's money. We're giving our ideas out there, but we still believe that investing is very personal and we want people to be more actively involved in the stock market. For this podcast too, this is an experiment on our side as well. We're trying out different styles between deep dives into industries, broader trends in the market, an introduction to investing in general, and even specific companies. So please, please let us know what you think. We're at 7investing on Twitter or info at 7investing.com on email. Please let us know your thoughts. We would love to hear them for future guidance for this podcast. But let me check back in with our stock picking team of advisors. We have a very diverse background with this team. We look at different styles of investing for every one of our picks every month. And I'd like to introduce everyone on the team very briefly to talk about their style of investing and what they tend to look at. Austin Lieberman, I will start with you. What is your forte in the investing world? I'm around thereabouts, 30 years of age. Also just wanna say youngest advisor on the team of uh, old men that we have here. And uh, I, so I run with that in, in, you know, I've got a lot of years of um, working and con portfolio contributions ahead. So I run a little bit more of a concentrated portfolio of generally 15 to 20 companies. And um, the companies I'm looking at and the companies that I will be recommending for seven investing are mostly in uh, enterprise software as well as like cloud computing and even some, uh, I guess you can call it in the digital entertainment uh, sphere of companies. How about you, Steve? I actually follow a pretty similar uh, portfolio um, size anyway, 15 to 20 companies usually. Uh, I started out, actually my background is uh, computer science and mathematics. I worked as a software engineer and sales engineer for seven years right out of college. I uh, have written about publicly traded equities for the past seven years after that. Uh, but what I did professionally before this worked for a, uh, a software company that made image processing software. Uh, underlying it was machine learning algorithms, neural networks, artificial intelligence. And uh, this was, I guess, a long time ago. So I have a unique perspective on that. But you'll see my coverage is uh, very broad-based. My first seven investing pick for March was not an artificial intelligence company. Um, I cover every sector, um, but uh, I try and find really long-term oriented companies. Uh, hopefully, the smaller the better and with huge total addressable markets uh, relative to their size. So uh, you'll see hopefully companies that can uh, disrupt industries and change the way we do things. What about you, Matt? Well, I'm the most seasoned seven investing uh, investor in life, if not investing. And uh, I generally look for companies with strong economic moats or competitive advantages, uh, preferably in, in growing uh, industries. 
And this usually requires a lot of qualitative work, like waiting through common scrawl, transcripts and 10K filings. Um, but I don't think there's anything more important uh, than a company's economic moat when, it, when investing. And as far as sectors, I generally keep a, a close tab on, on FinTech or uh, the financial industry. But uh, generally, I'm, I'm willing to look almost anywhere for a potential investment. Yep. And, and I am a self-described growth investor. You know, I really am just really interested in innovation, how industries are changing over time. Been to a lot of conferences over, over the years. And I really try to find the companies that are capitalizing on those. So again, great diversity of the team that we have, looking at all sorts of different things. Like you said, Austin's on top of cloud computing. Steve is an expert at AI. Matt's an expert in fintech. You know, we've got a bunch of different styles that we cover every month. And we bring those through our investing recommendations. But gentlemen, I want to talk about the, the issue at hand today. This is an unprecedented time for the stock market. It is, there used to be a time when seeing a stock go up or down 10% in a single day was actually a big deal. Now that's just something we've gotten used to on every day, it seems like. This is possibly the greatest market volatility that we've seen in decades. And it's really an interesting time for investors overall. We have seven principles that guide our investing style, but I want to go around the horn really quickly and talk to everybody about how do you see this current coronavirus crisis? How is this impacting your investing style? Or what do you think about the recent market, market volatility? And what should we be passing along to investors? Uh, Matt Cochran, if you're okay with it, I'm, I would love to start with your thoughts on this one. Yeah, so the, the thing is, Simon, I mean, I don't have any concrete answers. Uh, this is almost unprecedented for almost all investors alive today. What I would say, though, and what helps me invest in, in times like this is, is take the pressure off. Like, forget about timing the exact bottom. Like, it's not about, uh, you know, when, when people talk about the financial crisis, you always look at how high stocks are off the, the March 2009 lows, you know, specifically March 9th. Like, oh, how much would have this stock gained? But, you, you know, for, for almost a, a two-year period, stocks were 15% uh, below their 2007 uh, peaks. Uh, you know, so you had plenty of time to get in stocks at good valuations. So take the pressure off of trying to find the exact bottom. And just when you see a good company, uh, a quality company, uh, one with a competitive advantage, and it's training at a decent valuation, don't be afraid to pull the trigger. You know, this is... Uh, we're, we're investing with money uh, that we, we, we shouldn't need in the immediate future. And if you, if you buy quality companies at decent valuations, you're going to see that pay off in the years to come. So take the pressure off. Don't feel like you have to time the exact bottom. You buy a stock and it goes down 10% the next day or the next week or the next month. Uh, that doesn't mean you made a bad investment. What about you, Steve? You made an excellent point. Uh, one of our principles is to, to, to not put money to work in the stock market that you're going to need over the next three years. This is money. Um, we're, not, we're not day traders. You're going to find that we make stock picks with the intention of buying and holding them for years, not months, not weeks, not hours like some people do. And we're thinking long-term plays and, uh, and over longer periods of time, it becomes much easier to predict uh, what these stocks are going to do, assuming their your thesis continues to play out, and that's the challenge I think we run into, is that uh, particularly given the timing of our launch, you know, we watched the S and P five hundred fall almost twelve percent in the five trading days before we launched on March first, and it's down what another well twenty two twenty three percent right now as of this writing. The Dow was up at like eleven point 
some percent today. Biggest point gain ever in a single day. That's absurd. It's not normal. And if you buy a stock, like Matt said, that falls immediately after, you know, you bought it. Um, well, for one, you know, keep in mind, we, we talk about continuously investing, just continue, continuously adding to the market in both up markets and down. And uh, that's how you build wealth over the long term. You know, this is an area I was, I was joking about being 30 years old and younger than everybody earlier, but this is an area where it makes me so thankful to be surrounded by smart people like you, but more than that, to have a community. And that's not advertising for seven investing here, but like, that's one of the reasons I'm proud to be a part of this is because I think we're trying to provide that type of community for individual investors out there because I've never been through anything like this as a, as a person or an investor. And when I say as a person, I mean, I was, I was in college in 2008 when the great financial crisis happened. And so I wasn't really a person back then. Uh, <laughs> no. Um, but, but really I, I wasn't, I didn't have a full-time job at that time. I was, I was a student and I wasn't managing my own money or investing. And so the first thing I want to say is, is that it's, this is like a, a big, scary event. And, and really one of the lessons I've learned so far, and it, it re, I would say it reinforced this, is just the importance of living below your means if you can and investing 10% or 15% of your income or whatever that percentage that you can and slowly building that up. Because with that, you're building a cushion in your living expenses. And if something completely out of your control that you know nobody saw coming three months ago happens, it gives you a little bit of flexibility and it relieves some stress. So that's the first thing. And then the second, again, echoing Matt and Steve, what you said is not investing any money you might need in the next three years. Definitely not exposing yourself or myself with things like margin. We, we just see so many devastating mistakes happen when people do that. And you can read about it all the time, but um, it's really taken me experiencing this so far to learn kind of by fire how important those habits are. And, and so that's been my biggest takeaway. And then exactly like you said, so if you have those things in place and you're putting money in every, every paycheck or every other paycheck or whatever, then kind of continue to invest that in the best companies that you can find. And those are the companies that, that we're going to be recommending each month and not worry about like what's going to happen in the next week, the next month or the next year. Cause nobody knows, but, but I truly believe. And, and one of the things, so I wrote about this in, in my monthly update, just looking at five incredible companies back in 2006, 2007, Alphabet, Netflix, Priceline, Amazon, and Starbucks. If you would have held them from uh, 2003 through 2020, Netflix is up 15,000% and Starbucks, the worst performing, is up 542%. And that includes the great financial crisis, which is one of the worst drawdowns in the history of the stock market. And so looking at that kind of puts it in perspective. Find the best companies, have a process where you can invest in them and hold them, and then just stick it out until, until you're getting to three or five years where you need that money and then make sure that money is not in the market. That, that's what I'm trying to internalize. Well, well, first of all, I would like to pass along that, that Austin truly does impart not only his wisdom, but his sense of humor to the rest of us elderly and distinguished gentlemen on the team. So always appreciating his perspective on that. Uh, my, my thought is that, you know, to go against conventional wisdom, which is when there is a recession, depression, bear market, whatever it might be, 
uh, to hunker down and, and be conservative and stockpile cash, I, I tend to think of every time that there is a downturn in the market, it's a huge opportunity for the people who are thinking longer term. And you've heard each one of us on this team talk about longer term. That really is an opportunity to grab the stocks that are selling off because of broader market sell-offs rather than individual company news. We're all long-term investors here. We're looking for at least a three-year-plus time horizon. Uh, we've got some really contrarian picks coming out, by the way, for, for April, which are definitely, I think, opportunities for the long-term that could still experience some short-term pain. And so I think we're all on the same page of, of looking for the long-term on that. Uh, gentlemen, I'd like to talk also a little bit more about kind of how do you think this is impacting the investing world? I mean, we've said that this is a short term. We, we think it's going to be uh, an opportunity for long-term investors, but are there certain industries or certain trends you're seeing developing or maybe even specific companies that are really on your radar right now with all of this crazy volatility going on. You mentioned in your update uh, earlier this week when we were talking about coronavirus-specific updates that this will accelerate. Um, it, it seems strange to say because the internet is everywhere, but it will accelerate the shift to the internet. There are industries that have not gone there or not relying on the, the, the web as much as they should be. And uh, I think investors and we are for sure looking at um, looking at companies who will benefit from that acceleration to the internet, not only your more obvious like e-commerce plays, you've got, you know, of course you have your Amazons uh, in China, you've got like the JD.com. Um, but more some of the behind the scenes companies uh, that are helping support uh, the enterprise shift to the cloud uh, and cloud computing infrastructure and um, and supporting the background. Now, you'll notice if you look at our March picks, some of those um, companies were included there, actually. And uh, without naming names, uh, go take a look at our recommendations there. And you'll see some of those included, actually, in our upcoming April 1st round of recommendations. Um, but you know, really don't be surprised if we're pulling more of these names out of our hat uh, that are sort of your underappreciated, undervalued uh, companies that have basically been smashed in this uh, massive pullback that uh, we think are, are underappreciated plays on this shift to the internet. That's, that's one of the big trends I think investors should be watching. There's so many interesting things going on right now. To me, there's a lot of industries and companies that are like, almost skyrocketing on, on the idea of um, work from home. Zoom specifically is a company, huge fan of Zoom. Uh, I actually own shares of Zoom, but I recently trimmed that position just because I, I think that it has gotten so excessive with this move to work from home. Still own shares, but just trimmed a little bit. So that's kind of one in the opposite way that I've been watching, but uh, took the opportunity to trim my position there and then reallocate that to companies that I think sold off in industries that I don't believe deserve to have sold off. And so I'll talk about those right now. And same thing um, you're saying, Steve, I think uh, edge and cloud computing for sure are, are, it's an interesting category to me. And it, it's funny, initially um, some of the edge computing companies, uh, Cloudflare, Cloudflare and Fastly, sold off and even Akamai sold off. Um, but now we've kind of seen them rebound and Cloudflare shared an interesting blog post and we can share this in our show notes 
It's called On the Shoulders of Giants, Recent Changes in Internet Traffic. And it just talked about, um, and I'll give, I'll give one quick, quick stat from uh, this article, Evolution of Traffic in Quarantine. Italy has seen a 20% to 40% increase in daily traffic. Since the, log, uh, since the lockdown, and this is daily uh, internet traffic. And so that's a trend that I think, you know, it's excessive right now. It'll probably slow down a little bit, but every company is thinking about even more so a digital strategy, uh, thinking about how they can get applications and customize applications out accessible closer to their users so they can have um, that fast experience. And then also, probably not relying on some of these big cloud players as much just in case something unexpected happens. So really interested in um, the edge computing industry. Just before the call, I read an update from Facebook, I think that was saying they they saw like a 50% surge in messaging traffic, but their advertising traffic has gotten crushed, uh, their advertising revenue. But it's interesting, you know, what do you think as an investor? There's a huge surge in messaging traffic. Someone has to support that. You know, I'm always looking at uh, financials and fintech. And, and right now, more than ever, the thing I'm looking at uh, in these companies is their credit exposure. You know, this risk is especially applicable for companies whose entire business model is based on making loans. And it's not at all applicable to companies with no such exposure. So a good rule of thumb to remember is that companies with credit exposure, well, they're always going to get a lower valuation multiple. And they're always going to see a much sharper sell-off during an economic downturn than companies with no such uh, liability. So just look at all the four major U.S. credit card companies, uh, American Express, Discover, MasterCard, and Visa. You know, American Express and Discover, they're down much more uh, as of today, as we're recording this. Uh, American Express in the last month is down 38%. Discover's down 55%. But they hold a lot of credit exposure. Uh, they're always, uh, uh, you know, their whole business model rotates, revolves around like them making loans to uh, consumers and uh, commercial businesses. And on the other hand, you know, MasterCard and Visa, they have no credit exposure at all. And yet they're still down 25 to 30%. So it's not always, uh, you know, especially in the financial industry, it's not always about the companies that are down the most. But like I look at companies that might be down, but uh, yes, in a recession, if we're headed that way, there, there will be less spending. But there's, there, at the end of the day, they're not going to be holding any of that debt uh, that might be defaulted on, uh, you know, in a recession. So uh, that, that's just the thing I look at when I look at the financial industry right now. Uh, you know, you, you see a lot of these banks, uh, a lot of these newer fintechs that, are, that have new ways of making loans. Uh, but but those, those companies right now are, are ultimately holding the bag for all this debt. And then you have other companies that have sold off a great deal like MasterCard and Visa, and yet they don't have any credit exposure at all. Yeah, I'll continue the, the financial trend too, Matt. I think that right now, both the president and the Fed are, are going to keep rates very low. The interest rates are very low to stimulate the economy and do whatever they can to support that. And I think that one industry that's going to benefit from that is going to be the real estate industry. And so a company that's on my radar right now is Redfin. Now, there's going to be some short-term pain from this, I believe, because uh, the last thing that people are thinking about right now is moving into a new house when the coronavirus is out there. But you think longer term, what could low interest rates mean? For millennials that want to buy new homes, Redfin is the largest online brokerage for real estate. Um, this is an $80 billion industry. There were $80 billion of commissions that were paid out to real estate agents closing, closing new purchases uh, and mortgage originations last year. And Redfin is doing that either for a lower percentage or also using data to, to really 
take a lot of friction out of that home purchasing uh, process. And so this is a company that to me is, is disrupting a really large industry. They use doing it in a smart way. I think that the trend of low interest rates is something that could be very interesting for that company right now. Moving along to the next segment, this is one I'm pretty excited about because we asked on Twitter if you had questions that you wanted to ask our team. And we got an incredible response. We're very thankful for anybody who submitted questions, uh, not only on Twitter directly into the threads, but we even got some audio questions that came in through the site that Austin posted as well. And so we're going to take some of those listener questions. Uh, Austin, I'll throw it back over to you because I believe you actually have access to the, the audio question that was asked to us. Can we take one of those to start up the listener question segment? I do. Yeah. And echo that, Simon. Um, you know, I've had little podcasts of my own before and it's like anytime you get listener questions, it's just, it's such a rewarding experience to be able to answer listener questions. So yeah, thanks everybody for asking. And then we got two people that submitted uh, to, to our, our messaging service. So we were actually going to play one on air. Unfortunately, we couldn't get to both of them. We'll do maybe like a, a question only episode one time and we can get to a bunch more questions. But um, so please continue sending them. We really appreciate it. And yeah, let's get started with this one. This one is from our friend Rampant Discourse on Twitter. Uh, his name's Paul Essen. And here we go. Hello, Seven Investing. My name is Paul Essen. And my question to you is simple. What do you guys see as the best opportunity in the market right now? Is it a beaten down stock like Boeing or some of the cruise lines or maybe the airlines? Or is it a higher quality company like Visa or MasterCard? Or is it something else entirely? Thanks for taking my question. Looking forward to the podcast. We're big fans of, of Paul. I know all of us are. But when I first heard that question, Paul, I thought you were trying to squeeze some seven investing recommendations out of us early. So I'm going to, Simon, before I answer, I'm going to go ahead and take this as an opportunity to tell people April 1st, our next round of seven investing picks are going to be out. Subscribe. $17 a month and you'll get them. All right. That was my last, uh, my last plug. Um, so I'll start what I'm doing here. There, there's a lot of companies that are just beaten down 75% plus cruise industry companies, Boeing companies like that. I'm not interested in a single one of those companies. Um, I think we've got a friend on this podcast that likes some of those turnaround type stories, uh, but it's just not the, it's just not the way I invest. So um, Paul, great question. What I'm looking for right now is is strong companies and strength. So these are companies that I was already interested in. And this is kind of my filter. Ask myself, was I already interested in this company before this sell-off happened? And if my answer to that question is no, then I'm not even considering it now just because it's sold off. There's so many other companies uh, that are that are great that have sold off a lot. And I, I think there's incredible opportunities. So it's got to be a company I was already interested in. Um, and I'm, I'm looking for companies with strong balance sheets, preferably that are free cash flow positive. Free cash flow positive just means that they are bringing in cash uh, every quarter from, from their operations, and, and, uh, which is a good sign that that business is on the track to becoming more profitable. I'm mostly with you, Austin. Uh, most of the time, I'm just trying to trade up in quality. I, th I think Simon actually tweeted about this the other day, about trading up in quality in your own portfolio, taking advantage of opportunities like this. I, I will say, like, some of these things you see in the market, though, are, are <laughs> very enticing right now. And there's nothing wrong with that. The only thing I'd caution anyone uh, 
when you're really going dumpster diving for, for these companies that almost have bankruptcy priced in at, at some point. Uh, just look at their balance sheet before you invest in anything. Uh, you know, if there's a chance, uh, if they're being priced for bankruptcy, th there's probably a reason for that. So uh, I, the only thing I would say is there's absolute, there's, there's nothing wrong with looking at these companies that have had their faces ripped off. A, a lot of times you can make some good money in those names, even though you might have to be patient waiting for sentiment to turn, but make sure they have the balance sheet to withstand like an economic downturn. But as for myself, like I'm just personally looking for mostly quality that has sold off with the market. Austin was referring to me when he's talking about our turnarounds uh, that I like a good turnaround, but I'll be honest. I, these, when I've had so many people um, personally come up who know what I do for a living and ask me, what do you think of airlines right now? What do you think of Boeing? What do you think of the hotels? And they're, they're honestly terrifying to me. I, I, they're, even if it means missing out on some huge pops, when you look at these stocks and you see some of them up 60% in a day because there was some news that indicated they're going to survive, that's that's just too much risk for me. And I, I, I stay far, far away from those those companies because I think the market has yet to realize the gravity of the situation and just how badly the results of many of these companies are going to get smashed over the next couple of quarters and uh, some will not survive and uh, that's okay, but th that's not a risk I'm, I'm willing to take. So uh, I, 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 like Austin said, like to look at some of those companies that, uh, that I was interested in anyway, that have gotten beaten down for, in my opinion, no good reason. That's a good point, Steve. A lot of these companies do right now, they're just trading on bailout news, you know, and it's it, it, like, you're, you're almost betting on a, if, if, if these companies are, are going to get a bailout from Washington, D.C. or not. And that, that thought just, just terrifies me. Like anytime you're, you're counting on Congress and the president to, to do something. Well, it's uh, not free know. money either. Right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But like, and you're just like that, but that's what you're, you're betting on, that these companies are going to get a bailout so they won't go under. And, and when you, as soon, to me, as soon as you're not trading on, a company's not trading on fundamentals, but on a possible bailout from Washington, it, uh, that's a that's a scary thought. It's very risky. Well, then I have one other question for you, Mr. Mr. Contrarian, Mr. Turnaround, Steve Symington, which is still on the same theme. We have another question that is very similar, which is from Kevin uh, Zatlukal, uh, KCZAT on, on Twitter. Apologize if I mispronounced that. But he asks, what's a better buy? A stock that has dropped more than the market during the drawdown, during the drawdown, example, Middleby, or one that has dropped less than the market during the drawdown. Example, Amazon. Steve, any thoughts on that? Uh, turnaround stories versus high-quality companies that aren't selling off as much? That is such a good question. Sometimes I find myself spotting companies that have fallen harder than the market, and if I've determined that their thesis is still intact, I'm all about either opening or adding to a position in that. But by and large, um, you'll find that your, your winners do tend to keep on winning and companies that are operating from a position of strength will continue outperforming. Uh, so you'll see, um, you know, take Nike, for example, they just released earnings and, uh, and I think uh, their, their executives on the call were talking about uh, how stronger companies tend to just get even stronger in situations like this. So um, it, it's, there's risk both ways. Um, but uh, if you want to minimize that risk, I think you go with the, the stronger business. Great answer. Uh, we had another group of questions come through. Uh, thank you to Andy Wolford. 
and also to DJR, who both submitted similar questions about what companies do you think have increased engagement with their services uh, due to the, the self-quarantine? And then also, what are some of the trends that you think are either the strongest or the most vulnerable going forward? And, and I'll take the first shot at this one, because this was a topic that I just talked about in our last advisor update uh, that we put out. But it's basically, in, in my opinion, I think that 2020 is going to be remembered as the shift to the internet, uh, even more than it, than it has been before. We've seen Amazon has been the king of online shopping, but still, everyone hasn't been buying things online. There's still a lot of bricks and mortar retailer retailers that are out there and people are still going and shopping in person. I think this accelerates because everyone's been in quarantine. Everyone's been stuck at home for this past month. I think this accelerates those people that were not doing online shopping even farther in the retail industry. And then the other thing that I think that we've seen has been a complete spike uh, that, that is just too much for our current healthcare system and hospitals to handle. There is an oversupply of people coming through hospitals. It's, um, it's more capacity than they can handle. And I think the next big trend that, that this really accelerates is a shift to telehealth, where you're consulting with a doctor for non-serious conditions over the internet through a consultation that way. And then also just an availability of lower cost healthcare too. We've seen companies like CVS setting up prescriptions in neighborhoods where you can get a minute clinic to check you out. You can get a prescription right there. Boom, you're in and out without even having to go to a hospital. There's got to be a more accessible way and a lower cost for our healthcare system. And I think that this really puts that um, into the forefront. What I would caution investors to be careful of, again, are the companies that are maybe getting pumped up a little bit excessively uh, with predictions that that this is just going to be an absolute game changer for them. Um, it, you know, it, again, Zoom is an example, and even we've seen things in the news about Peloton, the company, just all these massive shipments that they're doing. It's easy for individual investors, retail investors, to get caught in kind of the FOMO of those stocks rocketing up, and then also be caught as the ones owning them as some of these high-frequency traders, funds, whoever it is, takes their profits and, and gets out of them. That's kind of how I'm, I'm thinking about that outside of just the, the clear shift to owning companies that have good digital strategies and, and have already been benefiting from e-commerce, the move to digital and, and things already. Just be careful of things that are a little excessive right now. You know, we, we're talking about the shift to internet and it's almost like uh, for retail, it, it's not just the shift to the internet, but it's, it's this omni-channel, this idea of like, you know, don't have a, a separate digital experience from a, a physical in-store experience where it's just all blended. And in fact, we have like, uh, you know, coming up on, on April 1st, we actually have two picks, uh, two team picks that I think like, like that follow this trend where the, they just have a, a fantastic omni-channel experience where it's not the, you know, it's not always the tech companies that are make the best investments, but also companies that know how to use technology to enhance their own experience. One of the industries that's that's kind of interesting to me right now, and one of those industries that has a harder time shifting is the restaurant industry. Um, you know, people think of, of hospitality and they think of, you know, airlines and hotels and everything, but 
uh, I think there could be opportunity uh, in food service uh, specifically. They do have sort of an omni-channel approach where you can do digital ordering, you can do uh, deliveries that are uh, online orders. I've never liked, by the way, the economics of food delivery. Um, the Grubhub, say, you know, feel free to prove me wrong, but I, ick, I've never liked it. Um, I, I like to stick to the companies that are benefiting from these trends anyway. But I do think uh, there's going to be some opportunity for businesses that were uniquely positioned to benefit from uh, takeout, uh, fast food, fast casual uh, to begin with. Um, to actually generate outsized gains for investors. I, I think, you know, some of your McDonald's, uh, your Chipotle's, uh, maybe even uh, Papa Murphy's, uh, those kinds of companies that were actually positioned well. I, I also wonder if this is going to have a more concrete, um, longer-term shift in consumers' dining habits, uh, away, further away even from um, casual dining. So, you know, your, your more traditional sit-down experience We've talked a lot on, on this podcast about kind of higher level market changes, broader based questions. Let's get a little bit more into the weeds here, guys. Uh, question from the Animal 23 is, is what is your take on Roku moving forward and its market cap potential? And I will couple this with another question we got from Luis, uh, who is asking, I would like to hear your thoughts on 5G and the streaming wars and what companies are paving the way for the future of these trends. I've had such an interesting relationship with Roku. I've owned it and sold it so many times and uh, which is, you know, generally not good. Um, but again, when we concentrate portfolio, we've only got room for so many companies. I currently own it right now and I have increased that position significantly uh, recently. And I actually just tweeted about this and, and I was thinking out loud and got some good comments uh, I like Roku right now better than the Trade Desk. And the reason why is I think um, the Trade Desk is a great platform, great founder-led leadership. But right now with the opportunities that are, that are available now, Trade Desk really relies on advertising revenue from you know, their different partners. And I think advertising revenue is going to get hurt over the next year or so. Roku has sold off significantly. It was up around 20, a $20 billion market cap, sold off down to around seven and is currently sitting at about a $12 billion market cap. So still significantly off of its high. Uh, and I think some of that is overdone because Roku doesn't just benefit from advertising, but they've got an awesome digital channel and digital platform. And they actually take a small percentage of, uh, some of the subscription service. So you can subscribe to HBO and Showtime and, and these different premium channels from Roku, from your Roku device. And if you do that, Roku keeps a small percentage of that. So uh, I think those sales are potentially going to increase, you know, a little bit or substantially over the next year or however long we're quarantined or whatever. And that's a habit that I think was probably sped up was the move from live TV to connected TV in terms of market cap potential in the future. I think there's a chance that one day it's more than a hundred billion dollar company. And, and, you know, I don't, I don't make exact or precise estimations. I think a lot of times they're wrong, but I just think in terms of can this five X or 10 X. And I believe Roku is a company that, that can. We always say content is king, right? Good content is expensive to produce. But time is also 
very precious, right? We have limited time. You can't go watch every show on, on the internet or anything that's, that's provided on, on connected TVs or any media for that, me, for that matter. So, you know, combining the two of those, that time is precious and, and good content is expensive, I think a lot of these streaming services are realizing they have to be ad supported to support the good content that they want to spend money on, on providing. And so my take on this is that we're going to see uh, as in the shift from linear television to streaming, where you're interacting with, with the television, it knows who you are. Uh, it's serving you personalized ads. I think that we're going to have this, this completely new advertising market for the shows that we're watching. And it's going to be programmatic, which is based upon uh, just like on a, on a website that you surf on the internet, you're going to see a, a personalized ad on the side for that. We're going to see a lot more programmatic uh, personalized ads showing up for connected TV and all of these streaming services too. There was a question about 5G. Matt, maybe maybe could you comment on the 5G part of the question from Luis? Uh, yeah, sure. I'd love to. Uh, so 5G, just real quick, it stands for the fifth generation of wireless networks. And it's important uh, because it's going to enable so many of these cutting edge innovations uh, that are on the threshold of great advancements. That can be anything from smart cities to virtual and augmented reality to mobile payments. They're all going to require high-speed connections to perform to their highest capabilities. Uh, you know, the Internet of Things is just going to continue to explode, too, once a 5G infrastructure is laid out. Uh, you know, just real quick, if, you were, if someone was looking for, like, direct plays on 5G, uh, there's some companies that, like, might appeal to different types of investors. Uh, so, for one, you have Corning, which is the world's leading manufacturer of optical fiber, uh, the material that will act as 5G's uh, backbone. You know, a lot of these telecom networks are still copper, and they're going to have to really densify those uh, for 5G to really work, and they're going to need optical fiber to do that, and Corning uh, makes it. You know, another one is Skyworks Solutions. It just supplies analog chips uh, that connect a wide range of mobile devices to wireless networks, including smartphones. And, you know, when 5G smartphones come out, uh, Skyworks Solutions will have 40% more dollar content in each phone than they did in just 4G phones. And then finally, Verizon. Uh, you know, this might not be for uh, uh, for growth investors, but for in investors looking for income. Uh, you know, it's a major telecom carrier uh, that, even though it looks like the the five G coverage is going to turn into a bunch of uh, marketing and in uh, in in marketing gimmicks, basically, like everybody just is souping up their four G networks, calling it five G. Like Verizon, I believe, will be the first telecom carrier that actually has true. 5G uh, coverage to most U.S. customers first, uh, you know, and they have a they have a great dividend yield, and uh, they do they do have a lot of debt, but things have to get pretty bad before people start cut, cutting their their uh, wireless bills. So I think I, I like those three: Corning, Skyrock Solutions, and Verizon. I think we we also ought not to ignore um, your uh, actual you know the obvious streaming place, the. Uh, you know, your Netflix is, uh, I, I've watched, uh, it, it's like owning Netflix through this is, is a fantastic experience because it's one of the few things that's not getting crushed. Uh, one of our other picks in March, I'm not going to name it, but you can look and see it's one of the bigger outperformers uh, in, in that group of picks. Um, just, well, uh, I'll leave it at that. Uh, take a look and you can, you can guess which one it is uh, that works for uh, not just video streaming. Uh, I also, uh, I'm watching, uh, I think, do you say it, Aishi Yi? Uh, I-Q-I-Y-I, ticker I-Q. Uh, it's that Chinese um, video streaming behemoth. Uh, they have that ad-supported side and the subscription side. 
I'll be very curious to see, um, just because of kind of how far ahead China is in the coronavirus pandemic curve, how their streaming providers hold up uh, and to see whether uh, it might also translate um, on a delayed basis to your American providers. So uh, whether Aishiyi actually holds up well, if that translates to how Netflix uh, plays and maybe Prime Instant Video uh, on the YouTube side with their subscription stuff um, and Hulu and Disney Plus with Disney. Uh, I do love Disney, by the way. Uh, what a fantastic play that way. Uh, I subscribe to both uh, Hulu Live TV and... So Steve, Plus. my takeaway, you're bullish on Every stream, everything, no, in the world, I, and they're they they have their pros and cons. It's it's so hard to pick between them. Uh, but personally, uh, I I love Netflix and I love Aishiyi, uh Own shares of both. It will be very interesting to see um, whether this again accelerates people's adoption and acceptance. Covered quite a bit of ground here on our on our very first podcast. Um, in terms of what we're investing in right now, what we think about the current market volatility, a little bit about our backgrounds. We talked about 5G, we talked about streaming. Uh, let us know what you'd be interested in hearing from us going forward. We'll, we're here to be helpful. We want this, this podcast to be useful for all of our listeners. So, so lob us your thoughts either in an email or on Twitter. Uh, send us a direct message if you'd like. We're here to, to make this helpful and useful. So please send your comments along. Uh, Austin Lieberman, Steve Simonton, and Matt Cochran. Gentlemen, thank you very much for, for everything on this very first podcast. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, and, and just a heads up for listeners, if you're still with us, uh, next week, we're going to actually have an interview. And uh, Sean Brown from YCharts, he's the CEO of YCharts, is going to be our, our first guest. So um, tune in for that. Yeah, and we'll, we'll put some links up to our site as well on the podcast page here so you can check out more about 7investing. Again, we are offering our seven best ideas in the stock market every month for just $17. Come and check it out. We appreciate all of your support. Thanks for listening to this podcast. And we are here to empower you to invest in your future. We are 7investing. A reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. And before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult with a financial or tax professional.